So basically, the first should be Chinese, just in my opinion. And uh, after that, Korean or Japanese. People start measuring their learning of the language in terms of years. I think this is a wrong approach. So it's, it actually cuts down your learning curve dramatically. Like a few hundred hours probably just disappear off of the learning curve if you know the characters. Hello, hello, language lovers. Welcome back to LingoCast, the podcast of your language journey. My name is Eliseu and starting here our episode number 84. And before we start today's episode and introduce our guest, don't forget to follow us on social media and your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to support our project, you can be part of our Patreon program by choosing the option that fits the best to you. You can find the link in the description of the episode and there you can receive multiple benefits. You, you can be part of our Telegram group, know about the backstage of the episodes, send questions to our guests and depending on the modality that you choose you can have even one hour every month of language mentoring once done with all of that we can go to today's episode as you know i recently started learning chinese so i've been very interested in asian languages and they are very different our today's guest speaks chinese korean japanese and much more and he will give us a lot of tips and share a little bit of his mindset to help us to learn and understand these languages. Our today's guest is Victor Sazonov. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I found out about your work not, not long ago and I saw your videos and I really like the videos. I really like the, the, the videos, especially the ones about uh, reacting, uh, when you see like people reacting. And I was very surprised because in this moment, I'm also starting my journey like we start learning mandarin to be my first not in the european language and i've been trying to learn and i saw that you can speak japanese korean and mandarin which are three different languages non-indo-european your mother tongue is also indo-european so i was really impressed and i'm really happy to talk to you today thank you i'm a very curious guy today and as i said i don't speak this language so i may ask a lot of silly questions our patrons also sent some questions. But first, I would like to know, who is Victor? What's what's your story? Yeah, so my story in short is that I was uh, I was born in a small Russian town in Vladivostok. But uh, the unique thing about Vladivostok is that it's close to Japan, China, and Korea. So from childhood, although I didn't have any special advantage like learning languages, but I uh, can say that I could kind of... I had the special advantage of being exposed to different cultures. So... Um, I went to Korean school when I was seven years old, just like for one year, one year and a half. Um, and uh, I used to go to Chinese markets with my dad uh, when I was a child. Um, and uh, we like uh, both of the cars in, my, in Vladivostok are Japanese cars. So we're exposed to Japanese products and stuff, Japanese culture. So I think I was kind of exposed to all these three cultures. And uh, I was mostly interested in European culture. Uh, growing up and uh, this is why I started learning English and I wanted to move to the western part of the world of the world but then I became more and more interested after traveling to Japan uh, I became more and more interested in China Japan and then became interested in Korea and uh, with my approach to things I just like oh I need to learn those languages so this is where everything started so yeah that, that's pretty interesting because I think Many people in Russia are very interested also in the, in, um, mostly in the, the West, but you had the, this opportunity of experiencing these cultures, right? I would like to know your first foreign language was English, right? Yes. And then you moved to non-Indo-European languages. And how was this, the difference for you, like the, the, the comparison between learning a non-Indo-European language for the first time, like how different or difficult it is? 
Oh, so the first, the, the, the second foreign language, like the, the first uh, Asian language was Chinese. And uh, I was, uh, for me, it was a little bit weird at the beginning. Um, I mean, because the sounds are very, like the syllables are very short. Uh, there are like so many similar syllables. Uh, and I was looking at Pinyin, I was like, oh, like, how am I supposed to just uh, understand it? And then I started writing my first characters and then it was very difficult. But um, yeah, I mean, um, over time, you just kind of get used to the language. Um, it becomes like a game. Uh, so you kind of get used to it without even thinking that it's kind of different or the same. But I, I think with Chinese, I was kind of shocked that the the logic of expression and the word order was completely similar to uh, Russian. And uh, it was very similar to Russian. So, and uh, I was like, oh, that's just, uh, you can literally just speak as you think. So, basically, I shouldn't, I wasn't, um, uh, I didn't have to change many of my thought patterns to switch to speaking Chinese at the beginning, uh, which is actually the opposite of Korean language, which is, which has absolutely the opposite logic of expression, which has a different word order. Uh, so, basically, I think probably I had a harder time. Um, learning Korean, uh, my second Asian language, rather than learning Chinese, my first Asian language, because of uh, because these languages are very different in terms of the word order, gram- grammatical patterns, and logic of expression. You mentioned Pinyin, and I find it really interesting, because many polyglots, they learn Chinese only with Pinyin. Like, they don't learn how to read the characters. And you were telling me that about, also uh, you mentioned the characters. So, what, what how was how was it for you? Have you thought about in the beginning learning only with Pinyin? And do you recommend only uh, learn only Pinyin and not learn the characters? And what do you recommend when it comes to characters and the, the alphabet? So um, it's it's very like uh, like I I would never recommend to learn only Pinyin. Only Pinyin. Um, I think um, learning Pinyin is not learning Chinese. To be honest, just my very like kind of traditional opinion, but. Uh, and I also think that it's impossible to reach a conversational level in Chinese without knowing characters because me, many people ask me like, um, do you like, do you, can you read and write those characters? Uh, you speak Chinese and Korean and Japanese. Can, can you write those? Can you, do you read those characters? And I'm like, it's impossible to reach, uh, any kind of conversational level. Well, conversational level is when you can have hours of conversations without switching to English and you can actually like function in this language. You can live in this language, you can date, you can make friends and so on and so forth. So it's not fluent, but it's let's say it's conversational. It's, uh, on like my Japanese is like this right now. I don't have to use English necessarily. I can translate with the phone, but um, so it's like it's impossible to reach this kind of level, in my opinion, without uh, knowing how to at least type in the language or how to read uh, the characters and words. So, and uh, I don't think that le- because Pinyin has a very limited, uh, like when you when you look at Pinyin, you just see syllables and tones. And there are so many similar syllables, and I, I can't imagine how possible it is to learn. Because to reach conversational level, you still need to have like a, a few thousand vocabulary, like a few thousand words in your vocabulary bank. So I think it's very, it's impossible to reach the level of undis- of knowing a few thousand words in Chinese, reach a conversational level with purely pinyin. And also, I haven't started learning Chinese yet, but I've been reading a little bit, and I noticed that. I think uh, pinyin is very limited when it comes to express the sounds in Chinese, right? So we may, uh, there are, sometimes we use the, le- the letter E, but in Chinese, uh, in, the, in these words, the letter E will be pronounced different, uh, differently in different words. And how did you manage to get this, this, pronunci- this pronunciation if actually 
when we were uh, it, that the way they are expressed is not does not always match with how they they are pronounced. Yeah, so um, there are there are situations like this in 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 Korean as well. Uh, like you learn alphabet and then you learn how to read, which is kind of separate because there is like emerging of sounds and similar like uh, like similar letter like the same letter sounds differently in the in the, in, in uh, different words in different contexts, but. Uh, I think it just comes down to, like I used to say, going through feedback loops with the teacher or coach. So it's uh, it just comes down to training. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that um, it's not that you. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of rules. I think everybody should understand rules and learn the rules. But when it comes, like for those people who don't like rules, like me, who don't think that gr- grammar rules or pronunciation rules are a lot of fun. Um, people who want to actually like learn uh, in a more fun way i think just understanding the principles and also uh behind those rules yeah the principles behind those rules and also just treating every word separately and individually so basically you just memorize how this particular word is pronounced and conjugated if it's if it's another language if it's not chinese but um how it's pronounced right in the context what is the pronunciation what is the usage of this word and just treat every word like a person like a separate person with a separate story like your friend so basically and in this way i think it's much more interesting to learn and you don't have to like focus on rules as much are you looking for a language course to start learning a language and start speaking very quickly so i have something for you in the description of the episode you can find language boost link and there you can find many different kind of courses for many different languages and if you use the coupon lingocast before proceeding to payment you receive 5% of discount in the entire website. Language Boost is a company run by two friends of mine and big references for me in language learning, Fabricio Carraro and Lucas Bigetti. And these guys know what they're talking about. The method has been tested and approved. So it's easy. Just go to the link in the description box, choose the course that you prefer, add the coupon LINGOCAST to receive your discount and enjoy your language journey with Language Boost. Uh, also, something I would like to know that I think in comparison with English, the these three um, Asian languages that you speak, I think we we need much more time to start seeing progress, right? And how do you keep yourself motivated, and how you work with this patience? Because to start uh, to be conversational, as you said, I think takes much longer than with any Indo-European language, and we need to keep motivating ourselves to keep learning to keep uh, being like interested in the culture and so on. How, how did you do that? What tips do you have? Um, I think social learning is the best because um, it's not either or. It's not either social learning or textbook learning. I, I have like two kinds of learning, right? So textbook learning and social learning. So I'm a big fan of textbooks as the prime resource for learning any language. Um, and uh, social learning on top of that, when you just go out and practice the, uh, the conversations, the dialogues from textbooks, um, and uh, basically, the advice here would be, I think it's, uh, it comes down to, first of all, uh, to mindset. So how happy we are with small wins. I think uh, there are different personality types. Some people are very happy, like me. I'm like, if I say something and people understand, and then they respond back, and then they respond back. If it's just a few-second conversation, I became very excited about that, although it's just a very small win. It's a tiny win. But I'm very excited about that, and that keeps me going. That keeps me motivated. Uh, but um, uh, for people who are not uh, who, who are not as uh, like um, emotional, I would say about their small wins, not that happy. I would uh, kind of 
uh, advise them to uh, try to install that, like try to develop this kind of mindset to be excited about small wins. Uh, and uh, this is the first thing. And the second thing is how do you keep yourself motivated? It, again, it's just talking to people, being in interactions, using the language in real life. I think this is the best thing because if you're just stuck only in learning, learning itself is, I mean, learning and acquiring any type of skill, it's uh, it's a routine. Sometimes it's a very boring and painful process. So um, to make it fun, I think uh, you, we should make it as social as possible. That, that's interesting what you said. I think um, experiencing the culture as well plays an important role, right? Because the, these cultures are very different. But w do you think that for this language in comparison with English, for example, that's a very international language, that learning and experiencing the culture plays a much important role uh, in, in uh, the journey when we are learning this language? Or you think that it's the same for, for every language? You think like it's possible to understand actually like Chinese, Japanese without really getting deep in the culture and understanding uh, their culture, social um, social rules and so on? Mm. I think that uh, in many cases, um, to be honest, I didn't take any kind of additional... When I was learning uh, those languages, I didn't take many additional steps to learn the culture and just to like read any books related to culture and stuff, which I think is, is, is a good thing to do as an additional step. But I think that when acquiring a language on a high level, when actually being immersed in the language, uh, when speaking the language and learning it, I think you inevitably acquire the cultural knowledge. Uh, it's kind of installed. In, it's, I, I always used to say it's impossible to master language, even on a conversational level, without mastering the understanding of this culture, at least on a certain level. A friend of mine started learning Chinese and he, um, Mandarin, and he already speaks Japanese. And he said that it was helping him a lot. So in your case that you started Japanese after Chinese, does it also help? You think that people can also follow this order that it will, one, one will help with the other one? Yeah, I think it definitely helps so much because there are also tables online on like, uh, like some data about how many hours it takes to uh, reach a certain level in Japanese with, with the knowledge of Chinese characters and without the knowledge of Chinese characters and hours are very different. So it's, it actually cuts down your learning curve dramatically. Like a few hundred hours probably just disappear off of the learning curve if you know the characters. I mean, in, for me, if I like uh, when I have classes with Japanese teacher in Japanese, uh, we only use Japanese. She just uh, sometimes tries to explain something to me. And if I don't, essentially she just types characters. And uh, if she writes characters on the blackboard or uh, when trying to explain grammar, I pretty much understand everything. So for me, characters is, is very like easy to relate to, very easy to understand. And in Japanese, even if I don't know the meaning, like the, not the meaning, but even if I don't know the pronunciation of the character, I can in many cases guess the meaning of it, uh, depending on um, just depending on my um, based on my knowledge of characters. And uh, I think that the best path is to learn for those who want to speak all three languages. I think is to learn Chinese first then to learn Japanese, and then to learn uh, Chinese, Korean, Japanese. So basically, the first should be Chinese, just in my opinion. And uh, after that, Korean or Japanese would be perfect. Because Korean is also 60 plus percent of words. Um, just um, They can be... They, they, they just directly come from Chinese characters. And uh, you can just guess their meaning based on your knowledge of Chinese. This week I was talking with a friend of mine. Her, her sister went to China. And she was learning uh, Chinese a little bit previously, and she she was a little bit surprised with the amount of languages that they have in China. That very often they were speaking something that she had no idea that she couldn't understand at all. And how to do that when you are learning Chinese and you want to talk with people? But I think there are even people that do not speak 
Mandarin, right? That they will speak other languages and how to, to find the best way to practice with them and find the people that, the Chinese people that actually speak Mandarin, if that's your target, target language. Um, I think that uh, um, still most people in China, they speak uh, Mandarin Chinese with just different pronunciation variations. So basically, it's, uh, it just takes, a, it's, not that, it's not hard to find a person who speaks Mandarin in China because most people do. Uh, but the problem is that, uh, sometimes they speak a little bit the, like, um, the, 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 uh, the, their, their local dialect, uh, and, uh, pe people normally, they understand that uh, normally in social situations, they speak Mandarin Chinese, uh, when they speak a dialect, it's normally either with their close friends or family. Um, and uh, if they speak Mandarin, if it has heavier act, like kind of their the dialect accent type of thing, like if it has like some certain pronunciation, I think it's a very useful skill to develop uh, to understand different kinds of pronunciations. Uh, in northern part of China, southern part of China, I have different uh, types of pronunciation. So I think it's very useful to develop this kind of skill. And in your case, did you develop a standard pronunciation or you chose uh, one region that you wanted to, to pronounce like people speak in that region with that accent? Mm. So uh, I think uh, we all kind of people who study Chinese in China, even like before China, they all use uh, they all study Mandarin Chinese. But once they st uh, start immersing themselves in the culture and actually speaking the language in China, uh, they will inevitably, with the, with the, if they actually do it correctly, they will inevitably acquire the ability to speak uh, the uh, type of pronunciation, some words from the dialect, uh, which is um, uh, main in this area, which is uh, kind of uh, which people speak. Like for example, in um, in Harbin, where I, where I used to study, they speak Dumbay dialect, not Eastern dialect. So of course, like when interacting with other students from the university when making friends, when dating, uh, when just living there and speaking Chinese every single day, it was impossible for me to uh, not acquire this knowledge and understanding of, uh, of the dialect a little bit to a certain mm -hmm, extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, many people still in every region of China, be it Beijing, Harbin, or like Guangzhou, like southern cities, Many people speak perfect Mandarin Chinese, perfect Mandarin Chinese, like on news, like especially, uh, I think, women. Uh, I think uh, guys and girls are kind of different because when I used to, I, I noticed that for the first time, uh, girls speak kind of more correct version of Chinese. They, their pronunciation is like clean, more clean. And guys speak a little with, with a little bit of accent uh, from the uh, from the dialect. So. Uh, but still, in every area, there are people who speak absolutely perfect Chinese. And I was, I was kind of curious about it. Why is it in the same city, why one person speaks very heavy Dumbay accent and another person speaks perfect Mandarin, although they were born in the same city? And I was, I was also always curious about it. And I used to ask a lot of Chinese people about that. And they used to say that it's just, it really just depends on the family. So if the family speaks, speaks and teaches perfect Mandarin, they just speak standard Mandarin. And if the family is speaks the uh, heavy accent this and uh, like some dialect this is this uh this is what their children uh start speaking so also depends on on education and back like family education so on and so forth yeah our patrons they can always send questions and we have three questions from our patrons here so linda sent 
Do you have a tip for somebody who has been learning Japanese for many years but couldn't get a hold of the language and ev uh, eventually eventually gave up? So when people say they, they've been learning the language for many years, the first thing I question is that people start measuring their learning of the language in terms of years. I think this is a wrong approach because um, one person can master a language on the conversational level in four months and another person says that they've been learning for a few years but still didn't reach a conversational level. So the, the, um, the deeper approach to that is uh, understanding how many hundreds of hours they invested and did they take classes or did they study with proper materials? Because some people said that they study the language but they use the app uh, to study and watch some just YouTube videos and they still count it as studying. Uh, without the teacher, without any course, just by themselves, uh, without being guided in terms of pronunciation, in terms of conversation and stuff. And they still call it a study and then years just go by and then they say that they uh, invested like a few years into, into learning. Um, I think that if people uh, speak in, tr in more uh, uh, precise terms, for example, I invested 200 hours in learning the language, studied language twice a week with a teacher and finished two textbooks, but I'm still not good. Like this kind of thing, I, I think should be uh, put into equation because it's very hard to estimate uh, based on this kind of data. Like I, I invested like a few years, but I don't, I don't know like where I'm at. Um, I'll just recommend to start tracking your time. First of all, um, ask yourself whether you actually studied this language. How many textbooks did you finish? Uh, how many hours with the teacher did you have? How many hours in total did you study this language for? Um, and uh, just start tracking your time, start using proper series of textbooks and studying with the teacher. I think this will resolve every kind of, uh, every kind of level issue. Awesome. And the second question we have is Nevena sent about Mandarin. Do you know any tip to achieve level B2 the fastest possible? I think it's all like the conversational level that you were mentioning before, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like kind of, uh, it's close to conversational level, right? So the fastest way is to go through uh, Chinese university press textbooks. Uh, any of those, uh, any series of textbooks published by, the, this is a golden standard for learning Mandarin Chinese in the world. Um, yeah, so basically to go, going through those textbooks with a teacher is the fastest way of reaching any kind of level in Mandarin, be it B1, B2 or advanced level. Um, yeah, so basically this is my best advice. Study with a teacher and with Chinese. Uh, it's Peking, it's called Beijing University and Culture Press. Yeah. Also, I think it's a very good tip. Uh, it will be very useful for her. And the second, uh, the last question we have is uh, Sam, Polyglot Sam sent, what's a good strategy to start learning Japanese from scratch? Uh, the good strategy is, first of all, uh, so I call so like I, I used to say like the same strategy for every language, um, but I'll be speaking in more precise terms. So first one, finish two Genki textbooks, Genki one, Genki two. Get a teacher on Italki or any other platform uh, who can guide you through those textbooks. Um, learn two hundred fourteen uh, kanji radicals so that you can. Uh, it's one of my principles called smart learning. Uh, it's one of the twelve principles that I used to learn languages. So smart learning means decode the language, understand the language, and uh, don't just use cramming and memorization, but try to understand the essence of, of the language first, right? So one of the keys kind of to understanding, one of, one of the key to understanding characters uh, is uh, character radicals or kanji radicals. It's the same. Uh, radicals are the same for Chinese and for Japanese. So um, I would recommend to start with 214 radicals. 
just uh, memorize them slowly, the meaning, not necessarily the pronunciation, but the meaning of them. Uh, finish two Genki textbooks and uh, get a teacher. Yeah, uh, get, a, get a teacher and finish two Genki text, textbooks with them. Mm -hmm. Do you think that just by being exposed to, to the characters, like seeing, for example, Pinin, and the meaning and the character, just seeing that we will end up memorizing it just like more passively? You think it can work? As a friend of mine told me that he was learning Chinese, but he ne never tried to actively memorize the, the, the characters. But just by always seeing the characters together with the pinyin, he ended up like learning uh, 1,000 character, uh, characters at least. Do, do you think it, it can be a good approach? Uh, I, well, I think, uh, I mean, just looking and staring at them wouldn't help, I think. I think it's just using them, right? Like reading them, speaking the language, uh, working with a teacher, um, it would definitely help just by using this this data, just by using this information, you can automatically memorize it. Um, but you should like it's not that you should um, like kind of cram, try to cram it right. So without cramming, without uh, trying to actively memorize it, just by using it, you can definitely memorize a lot of things. And one thing I also would like to know: if you had uh, if you have to learn these three languages now, knowing what you what you know now. What would you been? What you've done differently? Um, so my very first mistake was that I tried to learn languages by myself. Um, so this is why it took may, way two more years than it should have taken. Because, uh, yeah. So just being guided by somebody. Um, I don't know. Like people just still think that languages is something that uh, they can learn by themselves. Uh, it really depends on the situation and on the language sometimes and your, on your environment. There are situations like this when you, where you can reach a level. But I think learning by myself was the biggest mistake. And uh, I would take more courses, invest in working with more teachers, um, and just start investing in language learning. It's like investing in any other skill. Uh, I think it's very critical that we don't try to just create our own bicycle, so sort to of speaking, but actually go to people who... Uh, find people who can coach us, who can guide us step by step. I think this is the best uh, advice I can give to people. Just uh, find the proper system of learning, um, enroll into every course that you see, uh, especially the one that has a teacher and a proper series of textbooks. So I think this one is the best advice because back in the days, first of all, I tried to learn by myself and I was using way too many resources. So I bought this textbook and that textbook and this app and that course. So basically, I was using way too many resources. So I think focusing on one path, one teacher, and uh, one clear schedule would help a lot. I also would like to know one thing you learned from which uh, each of these three cultures, from Japanese culture, Chinese culture, and Korean culture, that really impact, uh, impacted your life. I think in uh, Korea, I learned the importance of being humble. Uh, the importance of being humble is, is very it's it's uh it's i'm still learning it i would say right so um this is one of the deepest things that they've learned uh in korean culture also the um the importance of rules and the importance of uh structures like systems uh so korean people are very strict when it comes to their work the rules right so the importance of that um and in Chinese culture, I learned the importance of not getting uh, angry and not getting way too, like not getting too pessimistic. Because um, I just found myself like in many situations where I was like, oh, like I got angry, but the, the, the people didn't get angry and uh, they take it very easily. So I think um, 
uh, in Chinese culture, it's one of the most important things that I've learned. And in Japanese culture, I think uh, just the uh, this try like this like um, striving for excellence. I think the uh, like the perfectionism of Japanese culture and this kind of the, the perfectionism attitude. I think is something that I learned. Many polyglots, especially in Europe, speak only European languages. What would you would you say, according to your experience, that are the, the benefits of learning language from different groups and families? Um, I think that, um, to be honest, I don't. I first of all, like I didn't like when I started learning languages, I didn't have a goal of uh, like becoming a polyglot or like. Uh, uh developing it as a profession or a, w- a way of life or like um, focusing on whether the languages are in different language groups or in the same language group and like the difficulty of those languages i think for me it's just um um it doesn't matter whether you speak only european languages or you speak only early asian languages or you speak both european and asian languages i think the most important thing is just uh how interested you are in the culture of the country that the language of which you are learning and if you're interested in it, that nothing should stop you from learning the language, whether it's European or uh, Asian language. Um, I think that um, it's, it really comes down to personal preferences because I was always interested in, uh, in one country and I wasn't very interested in other countries. So for me, I wouldn't uh, force myself to learn uh, the language from completely another language group just to prove myself um, that I can do it. Or I wouldn't, I wouldn't just kind of focus on it as a as a goal in itself, like to learn language in a different uh, language family. So, yeah, I think it's just really comes down to personal preferences. Great. There are two questions that I always ask everyone who I interview, and the first question is, what's your personal definition of fluency? When are we fluent for you? Um, well, I think that it's a very uh, yeah. So uh, people think it's a very vague term, like being fluent is a very vague term. Well, I think it's it can be measured. So first one is uh, still uh, having uh, uh, like being able to take an exam and reach, let's say, the fifth level out of six levels at least, um, because the sixth level in many exams is related to very limited, like a um, limited area, uh, which is not, um, yeah, probably like the highest level or a, li- a little bit below. Uh, in terms of the exam scale, like for example, on in Korean it's level five and six; they kind of go together. Uh, in Japanese, it's level two, JLPT one and two. Uh, so, be, having knowledge to pass those exams, it shows that the person can read in this language, can write in this language, um, and can understand from listening. So, they can pass. So, basically, it, it is kind of an indicator of the proficiency. Uh, but this this is just only the one. Um, there is also another indicator which. It, which means that um, when talking about uh, certain, let's say, um, economic matters, or well, basically, are you able to only speak this language? So, for, are you able to only speak this language for years without switching to any other language? Um, and uh, are you able to work in this language, like professionally? So, are you able to do a business presentation in this language? Are you able to host business meetings? Uh, understand economic matters or political matters. Like, are you able to do? If you're able to, I think you should be considered fluent. But many people, they, um, uh, I think, mistake being fl- being fluent with being conversational because 
being conversational is just being able to speak in uh, uh, in some day-to-day life situations. Uh, but in my personal opinion, it's uh, I mean, it, it doesn't take as much to reach this kind of level. But uh, being fluent, it takes years of living in the country, of speaking with, with people uh, on, on very different topics, um, ranging from psychology to like economics. So basically, it's like it's like speaking your own language. You don't have to think too much when you speak your own language. So when you compare this language to your language, what is the like? Is there a huge gap between how you can express yourself? Well, if this gap is huge, probably you're not as fluent as you think. But if this gap is not extremely big and you can still work in this country, like in this language, for example, you can take, you can just go on 10 random job interviews and you can just perfectly speak this language with the same speed, uh, with the same confidence as you speak your own language. Well, if that's all, probably you're fluent. If not, probably you're just on the way there. Um, so basically, uh, many people, they say like, oh, perfect fluency, but it's with this uh, day and age like with youtube videos and people go out and like interact with people like me myself my videos right so go and interact in restaurants um well it's it's very difficult to measure the level of a person just based on this short segment of just interacting with something although some people who know they know how to measure it but uh it's very hard uh but let's say if you say it takes some situation related to the business meeting or some professional situation well what is the level of communication there um, let's say you get a call from an internet company. Uh, they want to install internet in your home right now. You get a call like in Korean or Chinese, right? So can you communicate with them? Let's say there is a problem uh, with the internet in your home. You call them and say, hey, there's a problem. How can I fix it? And so if you have no problem communicating in these kind of situations, it's it's very great. But if not, it's... Um, uh, if uh, Yeah, so I think fluency, people, uh, people very much underestimate it. So it's two aspects. It's uh, ability to take a proficiency exam on a higher level and ability to communicate in professional uh, situations. Awesome. I think it was Xiaoma who said that in Chinese, it's really hard to talk about topics that you have never approached in your life because all words are different, that are completely different than they are in English or all, most of the languages. So it gets really hard to understand, express feelings in fields that you, you, don't, you have no experience in. Is it true? Um, I think that in Chinese, it's easier to guess uh, the meaning of words, even if you haven't uh, exper- even if you haven't encountered them, because um, Chinese language uh, basically build on characters, and you can guess the meaning of the characters. You can look at the radicals, you can guess the characters, and you can kind of guess what the meaning is. And just by being exposed, just just by living there, just by communicating using this certain vocabulary, you can learn it. Um, but uh, definitely, I think it, it can be said about every language. Chinese has no special thing in regards to that. I think every language has this uh, special uh, kind of vocabulary list related to a certain area. So I think it's these kind of difficulties is uh, related to every language. Awesome. And the second question is, what does it mean for you to be a polyglot? What's your personal definition of polyglot? Well, well, polyglot, um, I mean, I, I think I searched for this kind of definition. I think it's like uh, speaking uh, more than uh, two or three languages uh, on a fluent level. I think uh, is a, or com- still at least I think conversational level is even enough. Like communicate, being able to communicate in the, uh, more than, I think, three languages. Um, yeah, more than three, more than two languages, probably even three languages could be a polyglot. So uh, I think, yeah, because poly, it means many. 
So um, there, this is why there is no clear, like, clear number to that, right? But definitely should be more than two languages in total. So probably like three to four. Uh, and then like more than that uh, is a polyglot for me. You, you record the videos like with reacting, like you were, you were saying, to, uh, to talk to people on the street. And once I was talking, I was interviewing someone, I don't remember who, but the person mentioned that native speakers are usually more impressed if you have a good pronunciation than actually if you have a good level in the language, especially with first interactions. Because if you can have a very good level, but if your pronunciation is not very good, they, they don't get very, uh, very surprised. Do you, do you agree with that? Exactly. This is, this is a very good point. Uh, this is one of the principles that I teach my clients is that it doesn't matter how many words you know, it doesn't matter how many phrases you know, and it, the, what matters is the quality, the depth of your knowledge. So uh, you can say just one word in Chinese, and if it's like some people say, oh, it's just, it's just, it's just ni hao, you just say ni hao and they get shocked. Well, to say ni hao, you need to know a few things, that the, both ni and hao have the third tone. So there is a change like ni hao. So the first is go, goes up and the second is the third tone. So you need to know a lot. You need to know a lot to just be able to say ni hao. So basically, uh, there is also a funny story, like Chinese people sometimes mock foreigners. Uh, they say like, the foreigners like say, ni hao, like this, right? So with wrong tones. So it takes skill to say even hello in a language with proper accent, like even even with Korean, right? So they're like, it, you don't say, annyeong ha seyo, you don't say ha seyo, you say annyeong ha seyo. So you skip he uh, sound, right? So it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of immersion to just being able to say hello with the proper accent, with the proper pronunciation. So I think definitely it's true. I think it doesn't matter how many, it, it do, it's it's not as important as, like the, the vocabulary gram, uh, knowledge is not as important as pronunciation, to be honest. Because vocabulary can be acquired, pronounce by yourself, by the way. But pronunciation cannot be acquired by yourself. Normally you need to work with the person who will correct you. Unless you're extremely talented with pronunciation naturally, but uh, normally, in most cases, um, somebody should correct you all the time. So pronunciation is much more important. At the end, I always have this question in the language that I, I have in common uh, with my guest. But I think in our case, uh, I don't speak any of the, the Asian languages that you speak. I mean, what's in Russian? In Russian, yes. What you Russian, about Russian, about Russian, но хотели бы начать изучаться? Ну, я бы порекомендовал начать с английского языка прежде всего, потому что большинство информации в мире содержится, можно сказать, на английском языке. Я слышал где-то, что это 80%. Есть такое высказывание, кто владеет информацией, владеет тот владеет миром. То есть информация это самое главное. Поэтому я думаю, что нужно начать с английского языка для того, чтобы получить доступ к самой лучшей информации. No, uh, okay, I still have one question, the last question that I ask everyone here. Who would you like to see on LingoCast? One person and one topic. Um, I would I, <laughs> I would actually just invite the person who is not from ling linguistic community. Um, I would just invite the person who... Uh, so basically, because... So here's the thing, like me, myself, I, I actually want to expand a little bit further than just... A, uh, inspiring people to learn languages. I think just learning in general is a very important uh, aspect of life. So be it reading books or self-development. I would just invite somebody who is good at just reading and learning in general. Um, probably like the person I would, I, would, I would recommend to invite probably will be a little bit hard to get um, because they, they just like have like millions of followers right now. So uh, if you can invite Ty Lopez, it would be great. Ty Lopez. Uh, yeah, because he's uh, 
he's all about reading books and acquiring knowledge. Yeah, so I think this person would be great to get to get on the podcast. Awesome, awesome. Before we finish, where can people find you and your project? Yeah, you can just uh, basically Google Victor Talking and uh, whatever pops up. If it's a YouTube channel, you can check out the YouTube channel. You can check out the web- website, victortalking.com. Uh, yeah, like whatever is the best for you to do at this moment. You can check out the programs on victortalking.com or the blog uh, or uh, my YouTube channel where I post videos about learning languages. I'm also going to be starting my own podcast very, very soon. So, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, but I'll try to go like a little bit be, like above and beyond language learning, not only language learning, but just learning in general, acquiring any type of skill in general. So, yeah, I think uh, Victor talking, if you Google it, you'll find everything. I will leave everything in the description of the episode. So thank you very much for being part of this episode. It was really good. I learned a lot of things and I think all our listeners will be able to learn as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.